Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message is taken from our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 2 with an emphasis on these words. Going into the house, the Magi saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Those of you who were here last Sunday might be tempted to think that something may have been lost in translation between this week and last. After all, just seven days ago, we examined the text from Matthew chapter 2, which immediately follows today's reading. Herod's massacre of the holy innocents and the holy family's flight to Egypt. But today, as we celebrate the epiphany of our Lord, we move backwards in the text to see what got us there. Today we celebrate the epiphany with the story of the Magi from the East who came to pay Jesus tribute. The Magi's reception of Jesus has, since it's happening, become the stuff of legends. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that a good number of you are familiar with a certain song that we love to sing about these men. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I hate to rain on your parade, and I promise I won't too bad. And before I do, I have to tell you that I really do enjoy this song. But it always highlights a rather important point for me. And that is that the scriptures really just don't teach us all that much about the Magi. For instance, that opening line that we just heard, We three kings. Well, we don't really know exactly how many of them there were. In fact, we get the three kings reference from the three gifts that are recalled in Matthew's gospel. Opening their treasures, he says, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, there could have been three men, one for each gift, but if you think about it, it seems rather unlikely that men of rather wealthy means like we see these ones have would have been unlikely to travel far from home without some kind of protection or entourage to accompany them. But still, we cannot say for sure. Equally as uncertain is the location that these men came from. Modern biblical scholars generally hypothesize that the Magi might have come from the area of the former Babylonian Empire, which fell in 539 BC. Of course, immediately prior to this fall was the event of the Babylonian captivity in Judah, during which time the Israelites were residents, forcibly, of Babylon. And during that time, they shared their faith openly with its citizens. They became advisors, consuls, important members of society, and this, those scholars hypothesize, is how these wise men likely came to know about the prophecy concerning Jesus from today's gospel text. But again, we can't say for sure. Oh, but pastor, I hear you say... Didn't I always grow up hearing something about the identity, identities of these kings? Their names, Balthazar, Gaspar, and Melchior? 
Well, friends, this too is hearsay. The first mention of these names actually shows up in an old Greek manuscript, which is dated at roughly 500 AD, well after the recorded biblical account. Like their names, their occupations, and their homeland, we just can't say definitively what their names were. But lastly, and most egregiously, is what I like to call the 20th century greeting card phenomenon of wrapping up the Magi's visit with the Christ into the larger Christmas narrative. Another equally great casualty of the general holiday season that we observe here in the West, their story, and consequently the whole of Epiphany, unfortunately, tends to get lost and overlooked as just another part of the Christmas Eve pageantry. In fact, the scriptures tell us, however, that these wise men did not arrive in Bethlehem until roughly two years after the birth of Jesus. This we can discern from the age of the children that were targeted for extermination by wicked King Herod. So then, all of this together sort of begs the question, what, if anything, do we actually know about these magi? Well, we know that they were wise. It's kind of right there in the title, isn't it? Oh, but pastor, I hear you say again. Weren't you just saying to watch out for things that aren't expressly written in the Bible? Surely you know that the Greek text refers to them only as magi and says nothing about how wise they were. To which I would say, yes, you were right, and don't call me Shirley. The Greek magoi, from which we derive our English words magic as well as magistrate, carries connotations, as you might guess, of maybe a magician or a sorcerer. But in Jesus' day, that title tended to refer to those men who were able to read and understand and so-called interpret astrological phenomena. Hence their recognition of the star that pointed the way to the location of Jesus' nativity. Now, such men were oftentimes employed as palace advisors or uh, consuls to, to royalty. That, that's why they're usually labeled as magistrates. But in short, we might safely discern today that these were educated men of means. Perhaps even diplomats sent as peaceful ambassadors to Israel's newborn king. But this alone, you'll notice, doesn't exactly make them wise. Rather, the reason that we have come in the English to call them wise men has little to do with their intelligence or importance or wealth, but it has everything to do with the real star of this celebration of Epiphany, and I pray you'll pardon that pun. For these magi, we remember, were the very first Gentiles recorded in the New Testament to hear the good news of Jesus' birth and to come and worship him. This, for us in the Western church today, is kind of a huge deal. Because you see, like most, if not all of us here today, these men were not born into Jewish religion. They could not trace their lineage back to Father Abraham. They were likely not circumcised, and they may not have ever attended in their whole lives a Sabbath Seder. But what do the scriptures tell us about them? Well, quite simply, they say that after consulting Herod and the star, and seeing the star, they rejoiced exceedingly 
with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and there they fell down and worshipped him. Dr. Shelley Gable, who's a professor of psychology at the University of California in Santa Barbara, published some research in the early 2000s which details the human response to the sharing of good news and its effect on both the healthy and unhealthy human psyche. She determined that there are, broadly speaking, four different reactions that a person might have upon receiving or hearing good news. And this is all based upon things like their emotional state, their mental health, past trauma, or even their general disposition. The first of these responses, which she noted, was called the passive destructive response. This response entails someone hearing a piece of good news, but then taking a kind of pessimistic approach, pointing out all of the negatives that go along with it, or perhaps feeling overshadowed, they like to change the subject to make the good news about them. Then there's the passive constructive response. These are folks you might know who would smile and nod and say, oh, how nice, what great news, but have no real interest or enthusiasm for what they are hearing. Third is the active destructive response. This person responds to good news with open animosity, with tearing down or decrying the news or maybe even reacting with a violent outburst. Lastly, there's the active constructive. This last reaction is the one who receives good news and opens their heart to receive it with genuine joy and celebration. As you hear these things, you might have noticed that in our gospel reading for today, we hear instances of both an active destructive and an active constructive response. First is King Herod and his court. You'll recall that when Herod heard the news, he believed, but boy was he terrified. He consulted his advisors who looked at the law and the prophets to point them toward the babe of Bethlehem, but as they heard this good news of God's word, how did they react? With fear and with violence. As representatives of the Jewish people, they ought to have been the very first in line to come and rejoice and pay tribute to their incarnate Messiah. But instead, and in contrast, we see the example of the wise men, magi from the east, outsiders, those born out of the covenant, who listened to the scriptures, who followed the star in the sky, leading them to the light of Christ, and who upon seeing him, fell down and worshipped. Wise men indeed. The implications of their response to Jesus was far-reaching. As Jesus received the Magi and their gifts, so also, <clears throat> excuse me, we confess today he receives us as well. For we were once outsiders. You and I, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, were born outside the covenant, born into sin, children of wrath, enemies of God. We have all of us wandered a wilderness of sin and death, searching for a light to redeem us. And that good news, that star in the sky which appeared to guide the Magi to the Christ, has appeared to us as well. For you see, though we don't look up and see a bright shining light, 
we have been given the counsel of God's holy word. And what does that divine word of God say to us today? It teaches us. It gives us an epiphany. It reveals to us our Savior Jesus and tells us how he was born in Bethlehem, the King of the Jews and the Savior of all mankind. It also shows us how, as a man, this same Jesus healed sicknesses, drove out demons, and raised the dead. The scriptures also demonstrate his perfect love for us at the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross to take away our sin. It fills us with hope and joy in the recalling of his resurrection on Easter Sunday, his ascension to heaven to be our friend and our advocate, and his coming on the last day to make all things new. St. Paul writes concerning this word of God that these sacred writings are able to make you wise, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so this day I urge you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do not let the joy of epiphany get swallowed up in the humdrum and the depression which always follows the end of the holiday season. Do not be passive as you hear again this epiphany, the good news of Jesus Christ born to give you new birth, crucified to make you righteous, risen and ascended to raise you up on the last day. Rejoice in this good news, you who were Gentiles, you who by his coming have been made children and heirs to his kingdom. Rejoice this epiphany, fall down and worship him who by his word and his light has made you wise unto salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.